But I heard that Rodrigo Blankenship can throw a football clear over the mountains. And <laughs> uh, until someone shows me that he can't, I will believe I will that believe he that can. he will. And you know what? This is a podcast about facts and numbers, but Rodrigo Blankenship is a fact the way gravity is. He's he's the he's the goddamn John Henry of football players. He'll live on immemorial. Did he ever really exist? It doesn't matter. This is a story that we tell ourselves about the way that the world is. He's a myth. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today we're going to talk about the game that was in the hundred and something uh, edition of the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I'm not really sure how many, but it's a lot. Um, it definitely was. It was 1892 when it first started. We're going to be breaking down sort of all about our experience in the game, what we saw uh, with our eyes, what we saw in the stats, what we and what we think that presages for us going forward. What we saw with our uh, ears, what we felt with our hearts. Yeah, absolutely. Full eyes full hearts clear clear noses can't lose hasn't, hasn't been a lot of clear noses for me recently no but before we really get into it though let's talk about uh our good friends at gomed are sponsoring this episode so our good friends yes they are bear yes, mcdowell are. from the gomed life his uh he texted me the other day and he said hey you're gonna have to tone it down on all the really nice things you say about me because my wife says you can't inflate my ego anymore so you know what your your wife is lovely your life is lovely bear it yeah cool it yeah cool those jets Barrett, I would say that you are a solidly above average human. Yeah, cool your jets, though. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing yeah. to make your wife think your ego's inflated, but cool. I don't know why I'm scolding you either. This, uh, this yeah, episode's I mean, sponsored I, by as them. Someone who, as someone whose wife definitely thinks his ego is inflated, I totally understand. I feel you. But you'll hear more about them at the halftime show. But in the meantime, you can go check them out at gomed.net. Just know that they are bringing back the house call. Back yeah. in the football. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about our uh, subjective experiences. What, what what was your day like? What was it? What was the day a day in the life of a podcaster look like uh, for this? Yes, day in the life of the podcaster. So I went. What all did we do? Now that you ask me, I'm like, hmm. I I just really like the the fact that we had a night game. Night games are really fun for me because it feels like you just get so much more football in the day. But because uh, by the end of the the day, when a a game, you know, say if it starts at noon or it starts at three thirty, by the time it's over, you're you're like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to bed. And that might not be the case for everybody, but it is definitely the case for me. And so having a game at seven o'clock feels like it's a treat. And so I get the whole day worth of events. And by the time the game is over, I'm still like super jazzed on adrenaline and i'm still going a little bit we went home we watched the hell out of some great british bake-off and it was awesome we stayed up to like 2 a.m it was killer but uh other than that we got to do a little bit of tailgate hopping um i i got to a number of tailgates i do want to say jeff momquist i'm sorry i did not make it to your tailgate that i invited myself over to i apologize and i actually i actually also <laughs> want to say that like i'm pretty sure that uh we should text you about this before we just say it on air but i can definitely swing by your tailgate after <laughs> red coat practice um this next week so. Mm-hmm. so we're coming just heads up 6 a.m is when you said you're there i'm pretty sure so uh keep your eyes open eyes peeled uh, it's not gonna be that early head on a swivel it's gonna be like 10 30 for me so i'm not, I'm not gonna charge it we're gonna come anything. see you then straight out from umass but uh yeah i got to do a little bit of tailgate hopping um I came down from downtown through North Campus and swung back around, got to see some dog walk. Um, I had one of the 
this happens only so often. Like we are, I, I do not consider us to be like celebrities by any means. People joke about it every once in a while, but once in a blue moon, someone will hear me or see me and they'll say, are you Justin? And I'm like, I am indeed. And uh, it just so turned out that this time it was someone we hold very near and dear to our hearts. It was Dr. James Bearfield from Dr. James Bearfield's Troll Corner presented by Cheerwine, the wine that gives you diabetes, TM, 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 TM. Yeah. God bless. Yeah. He also him. came up to me. He also found me, but I mean, of course I know him. Um, I- I'm glad that you finally were graced with his presence. I was. He's much more pleasant than he is online. Oh yeah. You, you, one thing you got to understand the real duality, the, 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 uh, the real physics uh, paradox is that James Bearfield is like a good human being and a smart man but also simultaneously is just a real shithead. Um, <laughs> so that's the that's sort of the tough thing about it. That was more or less my game. We didn't watch it anywhere else other than home, uh, but that was a good, good time for me. I had a really good time. I felt like I really, I don't know, I just wasn't really worried in this game. Uh, it was fun to kind of watch all the weird stuff going on, and we'll kind of get into that when we talk about our observations, I think. But before we do that, do you want to run through kind of the day in the life of a, a Redcoat TA? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, usually redcoat uh, for the redcoats. I, I mean, this is always just my personal opinion from being in redcoats. But night games are sort of a double-edged sword because it's they're so fun, and you know Auburn in particular. I've always told people for me is kind of like the it, it's one of these games that it's to me it's just the perfect college football game, the Auburn Georgia rivalry. And I understand why it's sort of a, it, on the meta level, it's a problem scheduling wise and kind of messes up the rest of the SEC, mm-hmm. but. The actual experience of going to the game, it's just a real, I don't know, it's just kind of a classic. It's always at the right time. It's always in the fall. It's beautiful when the game's starting. Yeah. It's night. The, the stadium's lit up. Both stadiums are really nice. Both crowds have very good home field advantages. And it's always just like, uh, I've never really, even when we've lost, I've never had a bad experience at the Auburn-Georgia game just because it's always so exciting. So that's awesome. But then, you know, the schedule... It's fun, but it's a really long day when you have a night game because you have to get there at around noon, practice until two or three, then you have a few minutes to get over the stadium, start doing pregame stuff, um, you know, the Caesar show, whatnot. Then you go down, do the dog walk, walk in, eat, and then by the time you've eaten, you're pretty much about to do pregame. So it is very much like it is a it is a nonstop worldwide whirlwind of adventure and fun and it is very very fun but this this day was kind of just the same where um we sort of had an all day it was very much an all-day affair by the time we got back to our car uh we were parked back at the im fields and the traffic was kind of killer so we get out of the im fields and it's it's like midnight and it was just everyone in my car it was me and samantha and ben the other uh Sousa staff member and we all decided that, you know, in the war between tiredness and hunger, hunger was winning. So we went to <laughs> Waffle House at like 1 a.m. It was awesome. And I got, I had an all-star breakfast because I have no respect for myself. Yeah, it was really fun. And actually, I think maybe the highlight of the day, other than the win, was being in Waffle House at 1 a.m. and seeing a red coat in their full uniform, just <laughs> eating, eating like eating just the most tired Waffle House I've ever seen. Like they had literally walked out of the game gotten back over to their car, driven to Waffle House, and we're going to eat and then go home and take off these clothes for the first time in 12 hours. And I was really, I was impressed. I mean, it was like Redcoat City. I think we saw 10 or 15 just in the Eastside Waffle House. But yeah, so as for the game itself, it was really fun, uh, really electric atmosphere. And, and and in particular, being up there for the, it was the Battle Hymn Solos did a great job, Cameron, and it was his first Battle Hymn. And so that's always like a really special thing. So you combining that with the feel of doing the Auburn Battle Hymn, it was like really awesome. 
the band played Mo Bamba for the first time, which is this like super popular song with the team apparently. And it's interesting. Uh, we got that. They got that tune to play very, very soon before the game started. Like, like kind of on the morning of. And, uh, which just, and that, that was not like a, a, log- a logistical snafu on anyone's part. That was just like what the, I guess, I don't know, someone athletics had asked us to play. And so the, it, it was kind of a testament to, the um redcoats musical prowess that i don't think they hit they might have played it once and so we get there during the game and we had them backed up like down on r1 and it was on the redcoat side and there was a timeout and they and they played mobamba for the first time and it just slapped it's a really <laughs> good arrangement i think i think brett bockham arranged it um but whoever arranged it it's really really good and the song's really simple but it's one of those songs where it's like i don't really like the song um i don't know how good of a song it is like in a non-band context, but it's one of those songs that just works for a band. Everybody like knows it, that song. It's the one that's like, <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And then the whole the whole student section of the team just lost it. Like, like, what? like oh my God, La, La Bamba. Oh my God. <laughs> I think it, I mean, I, I'm no um, musical, well, no, musicology is history. I'm no uh, music theorist, but... Um, I, I do think that it has to do with the fact that it's just a bunch of really dark chords and there's something about just like, it's sort of the like Hans Zimmer effect where when you just layer a bunch of thick chords on top of each other and play them really loud, it just give it gets the heart racing. Yeah. Um, you feel it in your bones. Yeah. So that was a pretty cool experience. Um, and you know, then we had the like sort of classic red coat moment that I love where we had another goal line stand and I think it was in the third when they got down pretty deep into our territory and it was like, I think their their biggest threat to score in the second half. And it was one of the, uh, we held them to a field goal. So I guess it was the, in the second. Um, so it was the last, the last points that they scored. It was the, the classic red coat moment of playing choker like six times in a row. And I'm not being sarcastic that I like freaking love that. I oh, love yeah. this sort of like, we're just going to bang our heads. You're going to just have to bang your head against this wall of sound until it works. And Hey, they had to take a timeout for one of those. So it mm-hmm. worked. Um, so yeah, all in all, it was an excellent day. Samantha came, and any time that my partner in life and partner in crime is there at the thing that I like to do the most other than hang out with her, it's a really good day. So we got some really cool pictures. We got to go. We were on the sideline um, at halftime, and we were in like the opposite corner from where that uh, the last-minute halftime touchdown was scored. And so it was really cool. Like Because we were in the corner, we were in like the front edge corner uh home corner of the um east um end zone and so we had like a straight shot view of terry godwin scoring that touchdown there's like, nobody in front of us and it was really cool um and i i got actually a really cool picture of the flags after that one for the episode post for this nice um, kind of gushing about it oh yeah i actually i had sort of um a very similar uh i'm not a celebrity but i got some attention thing happened where there were two red coat alums uh chandler and margaret who were standing next they were sitting in the student section like right next to where i was conducting um if you want to call what i do conducting which i wouldn't um where i was conducting during the game we were just talking and they were like hey we love your show we you know we listen to it and chandler was like oh i have a 40 minute commute every day so hopefully chandler you're listening to this during your commute and it's improving your day and so that was just like really heartening because i think um we always, I, I think we, I speak for both when I say like how thankful we are to everyone who listens to this when they don't have to. Uh, but it all, it is also like 
you work all, you work really hard on it and you really just like or at least I know I do and I think you are as well. You really just like keep your keep your nose down and you just keep grinding, you keep working, you keep working, you keep working and you forget that people are listening to all of these as you do them. Like in the abstract, I know people are listening to this as I'm saying it, but like I can't think about that or I'll pee my pants, you know? So oh, yeah. um that's I don't know. It was just a really cool exp- day from top to bottom. People are neat and it's neat that you guys listen to this thing. Having gone through all of the good soft heart times with our let's turn into robots. Let's yeah, do our robot thing. We we we've used our fleshy meat hearts, which means our beautiful silicone brains aren't. They haven't been. Our, our my beautiful diamond computer brain has not been activated. So let's talk about some stats. Some good good stats. Do you want to run down the five factors box score for us? Let's. You're much better at like rattling off numbers. So we'll see how this goes. Okay. So yeah, so this past Saturday, the game against Auburn, of course, between the hedges, we have the game finally finished at 27-10, Georgia with the win. The win expectancy at the end was uh, 97% towards Georgia, and there were 10 drives per each team, 69 plays on Georgia's side, 57 on Auburn's. They were, geez, I haven't actually looked at these. This is ridiculous. Yeah, they're 516, pretty stark. 516 yards for Georgia, and then 274 for Auburn. Yards per play, 7.48 Georgia, 4.81 Auburn. Success rate for both teams is hovering right around that 45% mark with Auburn coming out of 46. Scoring opportunities, Georgia 6, Auburn 2. So yeah. that's that feels really good. I really like that. Points per scoring opportunity, 4.5 for Georgia, 5 for Auburn. Average field position was 26.7. We were right on the 26-yard line for Georgia, 22nd for Auburn. The turnover luck, we had a negative 1.2 turnover luck. The S&P Plus update. So at this point, we have 8.8 second-order wins. We're right at our 9-game win. I know at the very beginning of the season, S&P Plus had us losing two games. That's looking less and less likely here in the regular season, which is really nice. Uh, unless we just crapped a bet against UMass or Georgia Tech, which I will not count out Georgia Tech, but yeah. I feel pretty gonna, good about uh, UMass. Yeah, we're going to pick our score against UMass. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the S&P Plus percentage right now, 98.1%. Um, S&P Plus margin, 25.3, which is fantastic. Let me explain the 25.3. Just for the record, yeah, sure. that means that uh, Georgia is about 25 points better than the average team this year. Um, mm-hmm. However, if you look at the overall S&P Plus margins, like right for right now, Alabama is currently... Let me, what is their margin? Give me a second. They're like 35 or something ridiculous. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, Alabama. They're a really good so team. So we're, we're about 25 points higher than, or better than the, uh, better than the average team. Uh, Alabama is 30 points higher and Clemson is 29 points higher. And then there's a four point gap to us. And then there's another half point gap between us and Michigan. And per S&P plus just the rankings, we're only two ranks below Georgia. So, or Alabama. <laughs> Or, yeah, excuse me, Alabama. So uh, it's it's Alabama one, uh, Clemson two, and, and Georgia I, three right yeah, now. It's Alabama one, Clemson two, a gap, and then Georgia three. Which yeah, uh, there's nothing to be that's nothing to be sad about. But that's no, just statistically just, just a point of reference. Yeah, yeah. But so, but that's fantastic because the last few weeks we've been hovering around that five rank. So this is great for us to hop back up to the number three. Offensively, we're number three. Defensively, we are up to 15. Special teams, we are up to 10 finally. So we're returning to greatness almost, it feels mm-hmm. like, yeah. which is fantastic. All right. So let's talk about the five factors. So UGA offensively, eighth in success rate, sixth in marginal efficiency, 20th in ISOPPP, 
23rd in marginal explosiveness. Average field position is the lowest in the day. That's 69th. Uh, 20, uh, we're starting at the 29.8 on average on offense. Uh, points for scoring opportunities, 4.79, which is good for 54th in the country. Uh, kind of looks like that's our red zone was there. Um, expected turnover margin is 27th. Uh, actual turnover margin, 31st in the nation. So, I mean... You know, the takeaway here is obviously very, very good offense, third best offense in the in the nation right now. Um, I think an offense, I think some of these numbers are going to tweak around a little. I don't actually think that we are going to end with the 69th average field position. I think a lot of that is pulled down by our net punting rating being pretty bad at the first half of the year. But, you um, you know, just we've talked about this before, but just McCall Hardman and a couple of the guys who were back there, Keel Crumpton, just not receiving uh, kicks when they should have and letting them roll back has kind of killed our average. So I think that's going to come up. But I think points per scoring opportunity is kind of the big one. And we can talk about when we get into our takeaways, we can talk about more how we can improve that. Defensively, 68th in efficiency, 32nd in marginal efficiency, or 68th in success rate, 32nd in marginal efficiency, second in ISOPPP+, plus, second in marginal explosiveness 19th in average field position 34th in points for scoring opportunity at 4.08 so we're still at a plus positive uh what six nine points per scoring opportunity differential which is good our turnover luck points per game is negative 0.3 we're losing about a third of a point per game uh footprint wise Standard down run rate up to 32nd from the 40s last week. I think at this point we are just running a lot because that's what we do well. Um, passing down run rate 25th, uh, which is also up quite a bit. Adjusted pace 106, that's continued to gro- drop. Percentage of solo tackles 106, that's continued to drop. And I think that just has to do with the fact that we've just decided we're just going to bully people because not very few people can stop DeAndre Swift. Um, Havoc rate allowed still sitting at ninth, which is nice. It's kind of hard to give up Havoc plays when you're not passing a whole lot. Um, on defense, uh, a couple of personality stats that matter. Overall, Havoc rate is up to 88th. DL Havoc is still really killing us at 120th. LB Havoc rate is 11th. DB Havoc rate is 98th, which I think has to do with the fact that people just aren't throwing on DeAndre. Two, two things. One, people aren't throwing on DeAndre Baker. Two, those motherfucking refs at the SEC couldn't call it. <laughs> pass interference as their lives depended on it and i will not have my father the 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 person who brought me into this world slandered the way deandre baker if deandre baker was my real non-joking father me and the fucking head of the sec refs uh refing association or whatever would have already come to blows (laughs) jesus christ that's a mugging going on out there uh yeah so there's our personality stats and a mini rant from nathan um I want to, before we move on from stats, I have a couple of, uh, I think we can actually go into these on takeaways. So let, let's talk about, we, we've got kind of the stats of where we were. Would you like to pull out for one last stat? Would you like to pull up the advanced box score and see if there's anything you see that you think is interesting? Just looking at the basics of this game uh, with the 10 drives per team and then across the board for uh, both these teams, you have Auburn's 10 drives, 57 plays, two hundred seventy yard, 274 yards only two scoring opportunities in 22 average field position so that's like the bare bones what this game was so the average the average amount of drives that any team in the nation is kind of ends up attempting at the end of the game is right at 12.9 so let's call it 13 even with only 10 drives in the day georgia was able to score on just about all the rest all of them and the, the last four is what i'm going to call they're just like meme plays like weird stuff happened i wouldn't even like there are so many people saying, and we, we'll talk about this a bit more, that we have, uh, you know, we just can't pull the trigger on the goal line. We have terrible goal line offense, yada, yada, yada. But there are a few things that you're missing if that's the only piece of this game you're seeing, I feel. Mm-hmm. But that's something I'll definitely look at. I think that 
looking at the success rate for this team, I know that uh, that you know one of our over unders was hoping that on average Auburn's success rate would be right under forty two percent for this game. They hit forty five, but the only reason being in the first quarter they had a sixty nine percent success rate in the first quarter, and that just overinflated it. And the rest of the game they were below forty three percent the entire time. Finally, mm-hmm. ending on a thirty one percent in the fourth quarter when it really mattered. So it's just a, a team that just couldn't get it started. Just could not get it started. Could not find the red zone. Couldn't get opportunities to put anything back on the board over yeah. ten drives, and well, that felt and, really good. You know, I mean, looking at looking at this a little deeper too, uh, I think it's really interesting because we we've been classified as a bend don't break offense, but mm-hmm. our defense. But I think that kind of undersells what we are because you'll notice that we're actually we're way lower in success rate than we are in marginal efficiency. And to me, what that says is that we are bending on first and second down, but ultimately we're getting three and outs. And if you are putting your opponent into positions where they have to convert third downs offensively and you're not giving up the big play, a lot of times that works. Even if mm-hmm. we're giving up more yards on the average play than we at, than the average team was, if we're giving up fewer yards than they need to get the first down, then ultimately we're going to get punts, right? Oh, yeah. You know, the other thing that kind of stood out to me was, like and well how that stands out to me is if you look at the success rate numbers they're actually shockingly similar right so auburn's success rate by quarter 69 43 41 31 so uh, they have that one outlier of 69 um <laughs> um georgia by quarter <laughs> a lot of 69 in this game actually or this this episode georgia by quarter 47 53 47 31 so no huge advantage there and if anything the advantage with the auburn right success rate rushing 45 for auburn 48 for georgia uh, passing or success rate passing 46 for Auburn 40 for Georgia standard downs 51 for Auburn 45 for Georgia passing downs and this is where I, this is kind of the key 25 for Auburn 45 for Georgia the natural average is 31 so ultimately it's it, to me just saying that this is a team that doesn't give up big plays or this is a team that been that doesn't break is sort of underselling what they're doing because what they're also doing is they're playing very well situationally and that's reflected in their marginal efficiency because if you're not giving up a lot of I mean ultimately if it's third and f- like if it's third and six and you give up five yards, certainly you giving up those five yards reflects on the overall non relative quality of your defense, which is to say, you know, the, the quality of your defense in uh, in a vacuum as compared to every other defense, right? But it doesn't ultimately change the efficacy of your defense. And, you know, while the difference between realized efficacy and process is sort of like the key of what advanced stats uncovers, and this is certainly more true in baseball than in football, it ultimately it doesn't matter if you can do it consistently. This is like this is like when a pitcher has a very low batting average on balls in play or BABIP, where it's like, well, technically they shouldn't be as good as they are because some of the peripheral stats aren't as good as they are but ultimately if they do it for 161 games then it doesn't matter and i kind of feel like that that's the way it is with our defense right now we are improving we're playing a lot of young people um young people jesus what an old man i am we're playing a lot of a lot of young players and ultimately (laughs) people oh a lot of these young people they're all young jesus We're, we're we're improving a lot we're playing a lot of young players and at the end of the day if all we do throughout the season is just scrape by and we eventually get better and better at scraping by then eventually this defense is going to be dominant because, you know, it's the whole, I hate to coach speak, but the whole like lose big, then lose small, then win small, then win big. I kind of feel like that's been the progression of this defense where it's like at the beginning of the game, at the beginning of the year, we were just giving up way too much marginal efficiency, way too much uh, success rate. And now we're still giving up too much, but we're playing it situationally well enough that we're getting stops. So the next step when some of this talent matures is that we just stop giving up that marginal efficiency. And I think that I don't actually think we're as far away from that as people think that we are. 
The other things I liked, if you look at Georgia's rushing stats, are sort of pornographic. Uh, 7.83 yards per carry, uh, 2.95 line yards per carry, just three yards untouched on average. Ugh. 48% <laughs> success rate, 50% opportunity rate. And then this is kind of the interesting thing. So opportunity rate, opportunity rate is the opportunity to like get those plus yards to get past your line yards or whatever. And um, Auburn and Georgia both gave up a 50% opportunity rate, but um, Georgia had 8.77 highlight yards per opportunity and Auburn had 5.93. So our big plays were bigger than theirs. Uh, stuff rate 20% for Auburn, 14% for Georgia. So that's nice below the, the, the average. I also thought um, looking at the individual stats, DeAndre Swift is just a f- man. <laughs> He no, he really is. Like no, seven, I agree. Seventeen for one eighty six, ten point nine four yards per carry. Like uh, Elijah Holyfield's Elijah Holyfield had six point two yards per carry, and it brought down our yards per carry average. Uh, three point one eight line yards per carry for Swift. Fifty three percent success rate. Success rate. Forty one percent opportunity rate. Eighteen point eight four highlight yards per opportunity. And not to be hidden in that, this is that like by advanced numbers. Elijah Holyfield in many ways had a better per average uh, per carry game than uh, DeAndre Swift. Other than the big run, Elijah Holyfield was averaging, uh, if you take out the big run from DeAndre Swift, which obviously you shouldn't, but Elijah Holyfield was averaging 6.2 yards per carry, 3.27 yard uh, line yards per carry, but a staggering 60% success rate, 60% opportunity rate. Which meant on six out of his six out of 10 carries, he just was, he was getting you plus four yards. 60% Mm-hmm. 60% of the time. That is that is staggering, dude. I cannot even tell you how good that is. Terry Godwin also had a super good day, 100% success rate on the day. Hey, while you're talking about the that that rush game, yeah. Do you want to talk about the the goal line offense like we were just kind of mentioning earlier is kind of I know on a, on a few instances it was kind of a holy field and swift thing where we just couldn't get those short yards. We're only yeah, getting I mean, explosive plays. What's the deal? I I mean, ultimately I think that this is something that has been, some of it is small sample size because even though you get, you got seven cracks at it at, in Florida, you got like six cracks at it at UGA, you got or at Auburn, you get two cracks out of it in K- Kentucky. You, that's only what 15, 20 plays where this has happened, and certainly that's enough to start talking about to talking about it. But I do kind of think it just averages out. Um, I think in some ways it is on Jim Cheney for calling shitty plays and calling a couple. Of, a, a lot of the plays he's called have been bad, um, and some of them have just been good plays from Auburn or Kentucky or whatever. But, um, you know, it it does bear out that we are not a good red zone team offensively. So this is really interesting. The 21 to 30-yard line success rate, we're 28th. 11 to 20-yard line success rate, we're 25th. Inside the 10-yard uh, line success rate, we are 129th in the f-ing FBS. Our first and goal success rate is 116th. Our goal line success rate is 129th. Yeah. It's so pretty bad. Th- yeah, this is not... This is not just like conjecture at this point. There is something going on wrong. However, I do think that I do think it kind of regresses to the mean a little bit. I think that once it, it becomes a problem when I don't know, it, it becomes a problem when this is happening for a full season, but this is th- something that's kind of reared its head for three or four games. And ultimately I think it's going to get better next year because we're going to be even better on the offensive line. And I don't know if Jim Chaney is going to be the offensive coordinator. Teams that have gone to the CFP have fired their offensive coordinator. One of them we're going to be playing in the SEC championship. That's all I'm saying. So what were your observations? Uh, One of my favorite pieces about this, one of my observations that I took away from this game, and I was talking about this at breakfast yesterday, was just that what this team looked like was a team with 
some crazy confidence to be doing the kind of crazy stuff they were doing. Like I was seeing four, five, six, sometimes seven players substituted between plays. Uh, a lot of times that, you know, that hinders the momentum going through these drives. And I think that definitely has, uh, that's definitely a piece as to why we don't have more um, actual scoring opportunities uh, closer to 10. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's also why we don't have as many points as we could have, because this could very easily have been, I think, uh, a, a game with 12 more points on the board. This could have been 40, 40 to 10, uh, 39 to 10, excuse me, instead of 27 to 10. So mm-hmm. it was one of those things where we were trying a lot of crazy stuff. And it just felt like the fact that we're at we're playing Auburn at home, it's a team with so much tradition, so much rivalry, such a storied past, and we're able to do all this crazy stuff. Like, and then the, uh, the fake field goal too with Rod, uh, Hot Rod, like stuff like that is like, we're able to do that kind of stuff because we have a sort of confidence I haven't seen in this team in a long time. Yeah. We're able to try all this game time stuff just just because just cause we're Georgia, apparently. Well, and that's I mean, something I, that I, people I, might be able to say now. And I think, if you'll allow me to interrupt briefly, of course. But I think a lot of that, I mean, I heard that Todd Blackledge said that we substituted more than any team he's seen this year. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that there are any numbers to back that up. We could probably pull some numbers together if we didn't have mm-hmm. digging. But I think... I think it's just a depth thing, man. It's easy to have confidence in your team when you can lose like your two or three best offensive linemen on rotating on a rotating basics and still be one of the best rush teams in the nation. I mean, and this, you know, Auburn definitely got theirs, right? Auburn on the day had what three, four, five. Hey, we had a push on our on our over unders. Uh, Auburn had five havoc plays on the day, and you know, for them, honestly, for hold on, they had six. I miscounted. Um, for them, even six is not that bad. And, you yeah. know, Auburn got theirs, but we only gave up one sack on the day. We only gave up two tackles for loss. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where, you know, ultimately, I don't know how you can be that upset with where this team is, even if we didn't have the most perfectly efficient day on either offense or defense, solely because this team is just so damn deep right now and we're mm-hmm. just rotating in guys in and out and even if that doesn't result in the national championship this year it's the kind of thing that leads to national championships ultimately yeah and it's definitely something like even though there was no garbage time played in this game it felt like garbage time yeah absolutely. it just didn't matter we had the twos in so much and we were trying different combinations all day justin fields got some very valuable experience i would say yeah, yeah uh yeah. two sacks in the day but he got to throw a long ball and that was really nice that that felt good um, I, I will also say I think a lot of that substitution, a lot of the purpose of that, not only was it getting game time experience, because this is one of the last times a lot of these players will get game time experience other than UMass, maybe. I think uh, it has a lot to do with there were a lot of recruits. Um, yeah, there, there today. were a lot, of, a lot of recruits, a lot of committed recruits, a yeah. lot of recruits that we weren't supposed to be in with a lot of recruits. And it's a great way to say, like, look, you might not be on the ones next year or even the following year, but you're going to get to play against yeah. Auburn. You'll yeah. play against one of the, the, the you know, one of the teams with the most tradition in our conference, one of the oldest teams, a team that 10 years ago won the national championship. Am I right? right? Wait. 2000, what was the cam year? Seven. That's someone, you know, not too long ago, they won the national championship. This is a team that's in, you know, that they, they just went to the SEC championship last year. You'll get to play this team. And this is what you can look forward to if you come to Georgia. And, and just an elite level. I, I hate that word. Uh, one of the better uh home home field advantages in the country yeah that was uh definitely some of my my observations that justin fields getting valuable learning experience though is something i didn't really dive deep into but he sure did (laughs) Mm -hmm. he sure did did you get to watch all of those oh out of all of what 
all of his snaps. He didn't get quite ten snaps, but he he definitely got sacked of the. I think oh, he yeah. had nine snaps on the day. Yeah, I got I, I got to watch all of them. I mean, yeah, the Justin Fields ultimately like. There's a reason he's not starting. He's God. Yeah. He's so talented, and he just seems to casually he he has that uh, Cam Newton uh, um, sort of quality where he'll just casually get two yards a run, mm-hmm. and and it's just basically he's getting that on every run, which which is like he's not quite gonna get four yards a run, which would be make him like real like Cam Newton quality, but like he he can do the thing where if it's third and two and everybody knows he's getting the ball, he still gets the first down. The thing with him is it, it's just kind of obvious. I mean, he kind of crumbled under that pass crunch rush which who wouldn't it's a very good pass rush and gave up that 16 yard sack when really he should have just thrown it away and Uh it's one of those things where it's like he we're gonna ride and die with from and i think that there might be more of a package for him going forward and i do think that there's some stuff we've left out but like anyone who thinks that suddenly he's gonna just be starting is they're they're joking themselves what are some of your observations in this game what you got Let's see. The way I, I, I thought that it was interesting. There were a couple of player moves I thought they were really interesting. Uh, Otis Reese got the start, I think, at one of the safety positions. But then he came out um, and he was playing at star a lot. Uh, Campbell, it looked like Tyson Campbell got demoted briefly. Uh, he got pulled after he's get, been getting picked on. And I mean, ultimately, I think that he's going to be a very, very good cornerback. But he's just gotten targeted a lot. And, you know, that just happens to young quarterbacks. And Eric Stokes came in and played ably behind him. Um, I think that there's sort of this subplot of just like just the sharks on this team when it comes to just any mistake you make can be a reason for you to get pulled. And and I, I think there's a fine line to that because I, I don't think it's the, to the point where, you know, kids feel like they're not comfortable, right? They can't make any mistakes, but just the amount of depth that that bespeaks in a team where you're like, okay, we got this five-star cornerback. We're going to roll with him because he's the most talented cornerback we have opposite our all everything, probably best cornerback in the nation. Uh, and, oh, he's having a bad game. Okay. We're just going to put in another four-star cornerback. That's just as tall as him and has a little bit more experience. And he's going to get a pass break up on like his first play in. Right. And it's like, oh, your all world five-star uh, safety is having some bad run fits and he's kind of being lazy when he tackles. Okay. We're going to play this other guy who was a four star who can play linebacker or safety. Oh, you're, you know, people have been complaining, uh, complaining constantly about the, our play at the star, right. And how, um, we've got some guys sometimes who play there who maybe are not these Uber five-star recruits. And then you saw this week, it was like, okay, well, we're just going to play Mark Webb, a former four-star on both sides of the ball and Otis Reese, a uh, former four-star on both sides of the ball. So I think it's really interesting to just kind of watch, watch people get past or sort of like slowly lose playing time. Like Kendall Baker got hurt and Cade Mays got hurt this game. And it was just like, yeah, no problem. We'll just, yeah, we'll just throw in the next guy, right? We'll, we'll move people around. Solomon Kinley will play. And yeah, so it's like we had, you know, Kendall Baker gets hurt. Cade Mays gets hurt. Very casually, you just throw in Trey Hill behind them and you have another five-star freshman, right? You're a little thin at the defensive line. So you move Notoria Johnson over from offensive line and defensive line. And you have the like luxury of doing that because your offensive line room is so stacked that you can take three or four injuries and still have one of the better offensive lines in the nation. So it's just, there's so much... I don't know. I just kind of like what you were saying with the rotating, the the confidence of this team, but also just watching this team. I think we're going to think back to these few games about as this is really the truly when we saw this team get remade in Kirby's vision, because last year we had so many really talented players, but we had stars. 
You know what I mean? You had mm-hmm. Roquan, you had Lorenzo, you had Davin Bellamy, you had Nick Chubb, you had Sonny Michelle. And now it's just like next man up, next man up. And it's not the kind of like next man up of like, oh, we have an injury and we're just going to ask the worst player to play. It's like, no, truly, you could have gotten past anyway. When Trey Hill was playing behind Lamont Galliard, what did, to- what, what did uh, Kirby Smart said? He said, well, we kind of thought that Trey Hill might start this year. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. we thought he might start over maybe the best center in the SEC this summer to begin with. And so I really think that this is sort of what we're watching in front of us. And I'm, I'm sort of prone to hyperbole. So I try to like pull it down, but I really do believe that like, this is, this is, it truly is this year that is the seismic shift in this team, not last year, because I think that, you know, last year we didn't have this kind of depth, even if we were a better team. So yeah, that was my observation. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, it was good to see my, uh, I guess, second paternal grandfather, DeAndre Swift's dad, at this game, uh, because DeAndre Swift is a man, a <laughs> damn man, and it's a God, damn man. It, it, it's so crazy to me that he said that he was only eighty or ninety percent healthy after this game, like uh, out of ten, like he was not one hundred percent healthy still. No, he apparently had groin surgery in the off season, and he's still yeah, been one of the. I had no ten. idea. And he's still been one of the 10 best running backs in the league, in the nation. Uh, Terry Godwin, man, so good to see him get going. Terry Godwin um, was great. Yeah, they were also great. Terry Godwin is just such a good receiver at the like fundamentals of receiving. His route running is so smooth. And watching him on that uh, that fourth and three touchdown, everything about it was great. The execution, the play call, uh, for as much as Cheney gets fucked um, with, you know, for his calling, that was a very good call. Oh, yeah, put a click in there. Yeah, that's all I got about uh, short about any about observations you got anything for takeaways not particularly there's something i said but it was just I, I mean i feel good about this team i like the the just the confidence is being shown i think that the i won't give up anything about the sec championship game because that's definitely what we're looking forward to we got two more games between now and then but also i i mean we've said it many times that we we probably won't beat alabama but every week that goes by i feel better about our chances to play one hell of a game mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm. This week felt like an interesting... It was interesting. Like, it almost makes me put my conspiracy hat back on like I had last year a lot. <laughs> Which is like, what are we doing with this crazy playbook? Are we hiding a lot of stuff? What do we think yeah, we're going to be yeah. doing in a few weeks against uh, this Alabama team? My my early prediction on this SEC championship game is that we're going to end the game being like, damn, like, this team got a lot better and the, we're going to keep playing this game going forward. Yeah. I don't think I don't think anything. I think we're gonna feel like yeah, we're gonna be back. Yeah, it won't be an issue. I I, I don't feel bad about next year at all. Now, uh, do you have any big takeaways other than what we've been talking about? I think we our run fits have gotten a lot better. I think if we were playing, if we'd started the year playing the way we are now on offense, I think that our success rate uh, average would be way better. We're still just like an average success rate team, but I think um, that might go up as we go forward because I mm-hmm. think seeing the emergence of I think Trey. Ka- the emergence of Tay Crowder and the emergence of Monty Rice, and then what we have coming down the pipeline with uh, Channing Tindall, and then even eventually Quay Walker is going to be is going to be a really big deal for this team. Um, and, and I'm really excited to see, frankly, what the reserves look like against Massachusetts, and what like sort of the next face of this franchise is going to look like going forward or team. Um, I thought that you know, ultimately, I think short yardage and goal line situations are going to get fixed. There's nothing about the talent in that situation that makes you think that Georgia shouldn't be good at it. And if if the problem, if the talent problem is in the coaching booth, then we just need to move on. Yeah. So one way or the other, that's going to get better. So I'm not that not that worried about it. 
Um, yeah, so that's about all I had takeaway wise. Yes, let's talk about some predictions. So this was a game where we were, you know, the outcome, the actual outcome that we kind of both expected, definitely uh, it, it came to fruition. But the way we got there was different than we either of us. Could yeah, have we did not have a great week. Prediction no. wise, uh, two hundred rushing yards. Uh, over under for UGA we both said over we hit 303 which is fantastic yes the five havoc plays is your next over under and this was for Auburn and actually I, I thought you meant UGA the first time I did this so they actually had six so we are both right on this and so that is not going to be a push any longer the 10 Justin Field snaps he had just under 10 so I will take that one with your um, against your over then getting into my over-unders, we had an Auburn success rate of 42% per quarter on average. They came in at 45, which is still not very telling of the game they played because that very first quarter was a 69% um, success rate. So they definitely inflated that. Definitely an outlier. If you take that away, then they're sitting right around 40%. So, hey, not so bad. Three out of mm-hmm. four. We both said under. It's 45 on the day, so we lost that one. Jarrett said of 62.5 completion rate. Uh, he threw a bunch this game. Ended up coming with uh, 24 for 36. It was good for 67% completion rating. We both said under. Uh, that's all right. We didn't get that. <laughs> I thought he was going to be bombing it out a lot more than he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't end up that way. Jarrett said him two and a half sacks. We were hoping to sack him a few times. Didn't get any sacks. I said under. You said over. So he got away with that one. Uh, this is totally fine. The final score prediction. Vegas had us at 14.2 score margin with UGA coming out on top. S&P Plus is 12.9. The score difference was 15. Wait, I'm sorry. Um, the score difference was 17 points on the day. So we beat the spread. Uh, your prediction was 31-16 Georgia with a, for a, good for a 10-point difference. Mine was 38-21, good for 22-point difference. I was saying it'd be a little bit closer and it'd be a few more points someday. So we would have been there if we would have found the end zone on those uh, those two plays that we just didn't finish. You want to talk about Gomad? Oh, it's definitely halftime, huh? Yeah, let's talk about how good Gomad is. How good, I good love, those boys man, are. Man, I love Gomad. Those good, good medical boys at Gomad. Those good medical boys that we know. Uh, Gomad is bringing back the house call to medicine, and we are going. We are always going to ride or die with our Gomad boys because they are the first people to uh, pay us money, but also because they have a really good idea. And it seems like, and I don't know this, but it seems like that they are they are trying to get on a market inefficiency and find a really good niche for themselves, just like we have. And they're run by a group of really awesome nerdy UGA fans and UGA grads, led by well, are in part led by Barrett, who is our. Uh, contact person who is an awesome awesome guy and you know it used to be that basically all medical appointments were uh house calls and now basically none of them are and so you know there's this general prevailing perception that um you have to you know go to the doctor's office and deal with people's germs and deal with your own agoraphobia or introverted nature to see a doctor and that's stupid so if you are in the atlanta area or soon to be in the charlotte area starting in december um, you should look up GoMed. They'll come right to your house and provide all the care you need. Specifically Mount Pleasant and Daniel Island in December. Yeah. So also if, uh, if those other partners from GoMed want us to talk about how cool you are and like how nice your arms are, or, like your family's pretty and stuff like that, then hit us up and we'll let you know. We'll yeah. talk about you instead of Barrett. If you're tired of hearing about Barrett, that's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. We'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Go check them out at, at GoMed.net. They are, but, but well, Barrett is, uh, Barrett's the one who's actually talked to us. So we we yeah. ride or die with him right now. Definitely, yeah. We can talk about all of them. I don't mind either way. But hey, go check out GoMed.net. They're bringing back the house call. They're hitting up that healthcare on demand. You know, you could probably hop up on that website right now and schedule an appointment if you wanted to. 
Yeah, absolutely. Go nuts. Get your flu shot. If you, go get your flu shot. Do you got your flu shot? Yeah, I have my flu shot. I'm a, I'm a public school teacher. Of course. <laughs> yeah, go check him out. What am I? What, what do I look like? A damn idiot. Anyway, let's get into our favorite segment, Ask CBC. If you would like to be on the show, you can always hit us up on social media uh, using the hashtag, ha- hashtag AskCBC, or you can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and you can be a part of the show as well. We will answer your questions on air. So the very first one comes from Jonathan Ashley at jashley64. Jonathan Ashley asks, can you break down the injuries, possible recovery, and the effect they will have on the rest of our season? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things. Uh, we have some pretty serious injuries along the defensive line. And in, in particular, um, Michael Barnett is in now, but it's been in and out all year. Dequan Hawkins buckle has been sidelined with an undisclosed injury. David Marshall has also been sidelined with an undisclosed injury. And those are three very good defensive linemen. I think just in that, I, just from that standpoint, having those three guys having any of those three guys come back just makes our chances going forward in the, in the postseason even better, just because, you know, for once we'll have a full complement at our defensive line and our defensive line has been one of the weaknesses of the team. Let's see. Ben Cleveland, it sounds like is going to start uh, against UMass and he's been out for the last five games. So that's a super good uh, deal. Uh, Kendall, Kendall Baker and Cade Mays are both have been ruled out as has David Marshall and Decon Hawkins muscle or muckle. Uh, David Marshall has a foot injury. Kendall Baker has a knee injury and Cade Marshall has a shoulder stinger or Cade Mays has a shoulder stinger. It looks like Cade could go if he needed to, but he's not going to just cause we're playing UMass. Um, so to me, all of these things, like what that bodes is that like, we're going to get stronger on the lines of scrimmage going forward. And we really need to, if we're going to play Alabama, in any kind of a close game follow-up question and what path can you see to a possible georgia victory over bama come december i mean if tua doesn't play i feel pretty good about it yeah if he keeps limping on that ankle if i mean if i mean i'm not i'm not trying to be facetious like um no it's true though (laughs) so like we can go into this more but if they have to play mac jones against us i feel pretty good about it i'll Uh be honest he didn't look great (sighs) against tua I mean, they'll hear our episode in three weeks. Let's say, yeah, you'll hear our episode in three weeks, but it's going to involve like a lot of turnovers and some special team plays. Probably. Next question comes from, and just one hell of a night. Oh, for sure. We're going to have to play the, the most asinine thing a coach can say. We're going to have to play the perfect game. Yeah, but no, we really are. It's true though. We're going to have to play football better than they do. Yes. Uh, But, but even that simple thing is hard to do. It very much is. It's, it's Yeah. It very much is. Um, next question comes from, I, I like to say his name wrong because I know it's wrong, but it, it's just a fun name to say. Stephen, Stephen Chadouin. Chadouin, Stephen. <laughs> it's kind of like that. At Stephen Chadouin. Uh, bold prediction. I think we've been deliberately sandbagging Fields' arm. He throws against Bama or Auburn if we're down. Crazy or not? So this is funny because last year I did have the conspiracy theories. The I was conspiracy throwing the conspiracy theory. theories yeah. all around. And Steven, I will, uh, I, I will try to say, like, I will, I will warn you against this. It doesn't go well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, here's. The thing. I wasn't that crazy though. I will say, like, here, it did come the out. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We are pro- we are sandbagging some part of the offensive playbook for Auburn, and some part of that playbook probably involves passing from fields mm-hmm. uh, on trick plays or passing from fields on run options or whatever. I don't think we can hide his arm because everybody recruited him. Everybody yeah. knows he can pass. Now they're going to make him prove he can pass, and if he plays like he did against Auburn, that's not going to work not out very work well. Out. But 
yeah, I, we definitely will see some sort of trick play and probably a trick play involving Justin Fields during the SEC championship game. For sure. Not that crazy, but also don't count your chickens before they are hatched. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Them chickens are still in the egg. Ben Shepard comes through with a question. How do we feel about the quote unquote nerds trash talk some UGA fans? Uh, and then in parentheses and one very prominent blogger whom I won't at. Uh, it's uh, Blutarski. Blutarski is who he's talking about. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> is making snide remarks about DragonCon outdated or is it just something we do when we trash the North Avenue trade school? Okay, we already responded to this, but... It's like, worth saying on air. Yeah, it's worth saying on air. Listen, I don't hate Georgia Tech fans because they're they're nerds or because they take their education seriously. Those are two things that we share in common. I hate Georgia Tech fans because they're mean, bad people with a Napoleon complex that rivals the Emperor of France. <laughs> and they should be they should be embarrassed the way they talk about football. They really, really should be. So that's why I hate them. Not it just has nothing to do with their their proclivity for nerdiness. Look, let me list some of the things I've done in the past, I don't know, year. And I'm sure that um Justin can add to this. Oh yeah. I, I've played in a Magic the Gathering tournament. I've hosted several games in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm the esports school at a small high school in Georgia. I'm the esports coach at a small high school in Georgia. <laughs> I am the esports. <laughs> I've read I've read fan fiction in several different fandoms. You say a poem at every review episode we do for our football podcast. I just had a long conversation during the recording of this. Uh, I had a long text conversation during the recording of this podcast about how I wanted to get a tattoo based on a quote from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. You know, I, and I'm Justin, for God's sakes, Justin went to Dragon Con. Yep. I'm currently, no, actually. Two years in a row. Me, let me give you the worst one. The worst one I can think of is I'm currently writing a role-playing tabletop game. I'm writing two of them right now. Not You're as wearing we speak, a Spider-Man hoodie. I am wearing a Spider-Man hoodie. It zips up into <laughs> being a Spider-Man uh, hood. I guess what I'm saying is I, I feel kind of similarly, I, this is a little bit less vehement, but I feel kind of similarly to this, the way I feel about the whole gators thing when they, when we take gator and we put gay in it as the gay is an insult. If you think nerd is an insult, you're either over 50 or you're a f- idiot. I feel bad for those that make fun of somebody because they're really passionate about something. Because yeah, it, I know. It, that sucks. Like if you don't think that somebody can nerd out about something, then how sad must your life yeah, be that you and, can't and do just, the same? And just for the record, if you're a Georgia blogger, you're also a nerd, dude. Yeah. You're yeah, nerding out think, real hard. If you think enthusiasm is something to be, to, I, if you think enthusiasm is something to be ashamed of, then like you and I have nothing in common because hmm. that's all I have is enthusiasm for the things I like. That's all I know how to do is just be like, like a puppy that's like licking the things that he likes because he doesn't know how to process them. All right. Anyway. It's cool to be nerds. On. It's cool to pee your pants. Yeah. Uh, dream out of conference opponents. Uh, well, we we got two of them today. Clemson and Texas yeah. would have been up if you'd asked before today. Clemson and Texas would have been on my list. And it's a it's a ways out, also though. It's yeah, like 2029. I'd like to play some more teams on the West Coast. USC would be awesome. I think USC would be incredible. That would be really yeah. cool to play USC. I'd also like to play Michigan. Yeah, I'd like to play Michigan. I like Michigan, USC. I'd like to play um, Oregon or Washington State. Oh my God, Oregon would be so good. Oregon would be or really Washington cool. would be really good. Home and homes, though. All of yeah. these are home and homes. I don't give a shit about playing these people in like, uh, you know, beginning of beginning of season, like in you know neutral site games. I I am definitely I pres- uh, subscribe to the idea that these bigger teams from the from P five should definitely be playing bigger teams from the P five. Like if you're playing out of conference opponents, they should not be FCS. You should not be just doing that. I think all these teams should be stepping it up a notch and playing these bigger teams from out of conference. It helps everybody. I that's think that's where, yeah, I think that's where like 
that's where these me these moves are going. Like we're gonna mm-hmm. have to keep scheduling up. And if we go to an eight game playoff where like strength of schedule is gonna come into play when you get when you have like you know multiple one loss teams, uh, playing good teams is what's gonna help you. Next question comes from Abby Key. Number one, do you think it is likely that Hot Rod attempts a fake field goal again this season? And do you think he would be successful in the next attempt? Yes and yes. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. Like our our goal line offense definitely has to get better, but every failure is a learning experience. Number two, right. have you made progress in connecting with Hot Rod to hashtag have a beer with CBC? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. We're not going to talk about it, but yes, we have. Yes, we have, actually. And it's very exciting. And, and we probably, and honestly, we probably just ruined it with me talking about him as though he were John Henry. Also, there's a very good chance it will not happen, but there is also a chance that it will happen. So, yeah, there's that. <laughs> here's, the, here's, the other, here's the other thing I was thinking about. There's a chance that... And I, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is going to be a canary. Do, are you, are you familiar with what a national security canary is? Yes. Okay. So let me just explain to everyone. So a national security canary is uh, something that happens where um, you post something that says this site has never been contacted by the national, uh, by any security service uh, and asked to provide the records of our, um, of our, uh, users and then what you do is when you have been connected you just take that down and that way you technically didn't violate a uh, like a, a, a confidentiality agreement because you just took down something you didn't say anything so what i'm going to do is bef- and then if this moves along it pretty farther i'm going to pin a tweet that said that says this um podcast has never had a beer with rodrigo blankenship and then if we do it but we can't talk about it for ncaa reasons i'm just going to unpin that tweet there you go and and then you'll know that's all you need yeah, and, and then I might put a lot of gifts of the of the gift from Jeremiah Johnson, where Robert Redford just smiles at the camera. <laughs> That's all you'll need. You'll need the twinkle in my eye. It'll be like a star in the sky. And our final segment of the day is, of course, the Doctor James Fairfield Troll Corner, presented by Cheerwine, the wine that gives you diabetes. TM, 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 TM. All right, hit me. What poem would you equate to the Auburn game, Nathan? William Blake's "The Tiger" with a Y. You promised it. Here it is. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fateful, fearful symmetry? In what distant, deeper skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when the heart began to beat, what dread hand, what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain, in, the, in what formis, furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what, dead, what dread grasp dare its deadly terrors crasp? Clasp. <laughs> when, the, when the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he, did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night, what immortal hand or eye dared frame thy fearful symmetry? Here's why I wanted to read this poem. First off, um there's nothing symmetrical about the uh, auburn offense <laughs> mm. but here's the real here's the real beautiful connection if there is a tiger tiger burning bright in the college football uh world today it is the dumpster fire that is the auburn university football program feels goodman feels goodman you ever see that movie kung pao into the fist yeah man you kept on saying tiger tiger and it reminded me of uh the main villain and then he goes tiger tiger Tiger. Yeah. Anyway, how would you equate the literary paradox of the earth that is nature's mother is her tomb? 
Oh, man. And this is more of a duality than a paradox. This is from uh, Act 2, Scene 3 of Romeo and Juliet, when Friar Lawrence is he's outside of his cell collecting herbs. Um, and this is just after the balcony scene, when Romeo has just declared his love to Juliet and agreed to marry her. And just after this uh, little soliloquy, Friar Lawrence, Ro- Ju- Romeo comes in and gets Friar Lawrence to agree to marry him. But this is, I think, that fundamentally, this monologue is key to the theme that I think Shakespeare wants to explore in this play which is that um, man contains this duality where uh, the goodness of man can be turned bad and the badness of man can be turned good. And in this particular scene, uh, in this particular line, Friar Lawrence is saying that like what the earth gives out, what the earth gives us from herbs is, you know, is that it's the birthplace of life, but also the earth accepts death. And in that same way, like humanity was birthed up from the soil and goes back into the soil when we die. And how would I equate that to Gus Malzahn? I guess I would say that, um, like all things in nature, Gus Malzahn will soon be put back to the earth. And I don't mean that in a really sad, dark way. I mean it more like he's getting, he's going to get fired soon, I think. Yeah. Sorry, also, this is not even this is not even the best Gus Malzahn quote in that point, or in that soliloquy. I think the Gus Malzahn quote, the best Gus Malzahn quote is, um, he's holding an herb up and he says, he's talking about, Friar Lawrence is talking about how, like, if you smell this herb, it'll make you super healthy. But if you eat it, it'll kill you. And then he says, and this is a quote, uh, two opposed kings encamp them, still, uh, encamp them still in man as well as herbs, grace, and rude will. And when the former is predominant, full soon the canker of death eats up that plant. And I think that that's really the Gus Malzahn quote because uh, <laughs> there's good Gus and bad Gus and they're both encamped. He's got a devil on his shoulder and an angel on his shoulder. Depending on which one he picks at the beginning of the year, that's the Auburn you get. How do we turn our dead zone offense into red zone offense? You got anything on this? I mean, it just seems like I don't know that like I we've talked about it before like we don't we don't technically know football very well. We can look at stats and we can talk to you about it what it all kind of means and make it more accessible and make this an inclusive space, but I don't know what the term for this is. It seems like at the red zone, when we're in the red zone, we're near the goal line, the closer the goal line we get, we scrunch our offensive offensive line even closer together and we try to do this thing to where like we try to mostly run up the middle and it never works one and then if we try to run around the side we're trying to use like our outside of the outside line uh, we're trying to use those guys to block but it just doesn't work it, it seems like we push guys off in front of us and they push them into whomever is running the ball in and we just don't pass enough on at the uh, the goal line either i feel and so i i just don't feel like we're we're being too predictable one in my opinion I, if I could definitely, I could look at the stats right now and kind of tell you like how what the breakdown is on what we're doing at the goal line. So I could tell you honestly, other than just speculating, but it just seems like we're we're becoming too predictable. We're not doing enough. But I think that that may be if I want to put my you know tinfoil hat on, that might be intentional. Could very well be. I mean, I think a lot of the the problem has been that we we haven't been running play action or passing out of in the red zone um, mm-hmm. unless we are, unless we do it it's been very predictable when we have done it um, and play action passing and in particular play action passing to like crossing um, players especially fullbacks and tight ends that's sort of how you solve that problem and we just haven't been pulling the trigger on that at the right times and I don't know why but I, like I said you could put your tinfoil hat on me or not on me but put your tinfoil hat on with me and we could imagine we could dream that that might be why that is very Absolutely. intentional uh nathan purely from a musical standpoint why does the section sound worse without me uh it's because 
you know, good sectional sound is about consistency. So it's not necessarily playing like you're playing in an orchestra. It's everyone playing the same and at the same time. And you could say a lot about things about James as a tuba player, but he's a very good player uh, who uses his powers for evil. He's kind of like, <laughs> um, he's like the red sun version of Superman when Superman lands in Siberia instead of Kansas and becomes like a Soviet uh, enforcer. That's like, that's what he is. So like uh, when James was playing, it was hard to hear anything but the, um, let's say, aggressive sound that James was putting out. And so since everyone wanted to play like that, uh, then we I at least sounded more consistent. <laughs> and the last piece is, and we've already answered this, is Melzon's job and the fate of their bowl game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're yeah. they're going to get their asses kicked by Alabama, and it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, that's going to be a hard game. Yep. So that's our uh, that's our last segment. That's the show. We do have a... We, as you, podcast business. Yeah. Podcast business. Podcast business. Podcast business. I don't know if I like that, but I think I do. I think I'm into it. I don't care if you like it. Podcast business. Let's podcast, do it. Business. podcast business. Hey, those of you that are Reddit subscribers, Reddit users, Reddit trolls, Reddit lurkers, whatever it is you want to call yourself on Reddit. If you're on Reddit, we are doing an AMA, apparently, uh, on our Georgia Bulldogs. So our backslash Georgia Bulldogs, the Thread will be put together, from what I understand, it'll be put together on the Sunday bef- or after the Georgia Tech game on the 25th of November. And they'll be asking for questions and whatever for us to go and answer, you know, until the end of time, essentially. But we'll be on there on Wednesday, the 28th, sometime in the afternoon, answering those questions. It'll be less live because we are not celebrities. We are not high profile. <laughs> it'll just be us putting it together and we'll probably do something fun for patreon subscribers on the side as well yeah uh, depending on how things look and how things go but yeah go go over to our georgia bulldogs and put some questions on there and we're happy to answer those things so yeah the, the quickest way to go to subreddits by the way is to put the subreddit name before reddit so like georgia bulldogs.reddit.com instead of reddit.com slash r slash georgia bulldogs um also, second announcement, and this is something I'm very excited about, something we kicked around doing for a long time, but we need your stories, Georgia fan. We need your fan stories. We're going to be doing some narrative podcasts, and Justin can get into this a little bit more about what he envisions it as being, because I think this is really Justin's baby. But I will say to begin with that um, to the approximately 500 Redcoats who listen to this, yes, we are probably going to do a Redcoat episode. Oh, for sure. So send us, if you want to slide into those DMs or hit us up at <laughs> Chapel Bell Curve. Uh, at gmail.com and send us just your interest and sort of a brief like here's what i'd talk about if i was given the opportunity Mm -hmm. and we'll see what we can do do you have anything you want to add like how you want it to look what you want to do yeah and this is not we definitely want to hear your stories want to hear your quick pitch this is not us telling your story we want to come to where you are uh, Mm -hmm. if it's close enough and hear you tell your story about uga football or your experience with the the game it could be like your experience your favorite game that's ever happened or it could be something like you and a parent or you and a sibling or some some really special tradition that you hold dear to you that you want to share about why this sport or this 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 culture is important to you we want to hear it and we want to tell the world about it okay and i and let me add one thing because i know some people listen to this that would want me to say this um for those of us who are current and former redcoats we are going to keep the private stuff <laughs> private <laughs> but if you have any really good nathan stories i want to hear them yeah, I mean, maybe we'll record those and just send them around. Uh-huh. But just anything that would embarrass the uniform, we're probably not going to put on the air. For sure. But if you have a fun story or a story that you're willing to tell in front of your grandparents or just a story that you think is important or meaningful to you, we'd love to hear it. Because yeah. Redcoats is one of the most important and meaningful things in my life. So I'm sure everybody else has good stories as well. Mm-hmm. Those stories are worth telling and we want to hear them. Also, Redcoat love stories, all in. Redcoat, Redcoat on Redcoat marriage stories, 
hundred percent. I know one of those. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I know a few of those. Anyway, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you found us, you probably found us on iTunes, but you could also find us on Google Play or Spotify, pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. So check it all out. Maybe you'll find one that you like more than the one you're using. You can get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. You can also just email us in good old-fashioned Gmail, chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. We're also both on Twitter, so if you want to yell at us individually instead of just our joint account, you could do that as well. I am at the Justin Bray, and Nathan is at Nathan J. Lawrence. So hit us up on there. You, we mm-hmm. also have a website you can go to if you'd rather just stream from our website, chapelbellcurve.com. We also sometimes post fun stuff there, but more often than not, we are posting extra posts and other feeds and extra episodes and content on our Patreon So if you have an extra dollar you want to throw away, that unlocks extra content for you. You get episodes early. You get uncensored episodes. You get all the stuff that I don't want to bother uh, working through and censoring because... Like one of the questions about DeAndre Baker's pass interference calls this, (laughs) which is just, it's like, you can't cut the poison out of that because now the body is more poison than it is body. (laughs) Exactly. So that'll be up there on Patreon. So... Uh, we understand that there's some people out there that cannot give up anything, and we are not asking you to do that. We just want to say, like, if you do have an extra dollar and you want to say thank you, that's one of the ways you can do that. That helps us buy new equipment and more stuff that we can put back into the show. So you see the benefit from all of that. Which mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. You're about to see one of the very first things that we benefited from. So, Which is that I'm going to order a new keyboard and mouse. So you won't hear Nathan's incessant clicking the entire time. As soon as PayPal will transfer me this freaking money out of our PayPal account, but whatever. <laughs> I don't want to argue about it. If it doesn't happen before tomorrow, I'm going to have a I'm going to have a Twitter fight with Elon Musk. All right. But yeah, so until we see you next time when we take on UMass, are they the Minutemen? Yeah. The University of Missi- Massachusetts Minutemen. I used to play them very in Frisbee. Di- very good at very, Frisbee. Very different than the University of uh, Mississippi Minutemen. Yeah. Very not, different kind of Minutemen. Oh, yeah. Very different. They're very different minutes. You know, one is a lot longer than the other. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one Mississippi. <laughs> anyway, we will catch you in the Classic City next time. And until then, as always, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>